Well, it's been over five years ago that I graduated from the Atlanta Bible College. I thoroughly enjoyed my time at the Bible College. I will often reminisce of the good times that were had at the Bible College and I recognize that there will probably never be another season in my life where I am just living with the guys while I'm taking hours of classes a week um, all about the Bible and ministry. It was a very unique season of my life, and it was like a dream come true for me. Now, I certainly don't remember everything that was taught in my classes, and I certainly living now with my lovely wife and our two children, a dream come true today as well. I could get myself in trouble here this morning. <laughs> I certainly don't remember everything that I was uh, taught in my classes, but uh, there's definitely some that I remember from the various classes. While at the Bible college, I took a few preaching classes. And I remember in one of my preaching classes, we talked about the different stages of developing a sermon. You have prayers important and getting your mind, your heart right and in line with God. Uh, you have the inspiration inspired by the word um, and how you compose uh, the sermon. And then comes the research. You're looking through all these articles online, reading the books, reading the scriptures, uh, this topic that you have chosen, whatever God's inspired you to uh, take a look at. Then after you research and you put together the outline and then you put pen to paper and then comes one of my least favorite parts of putting together a message. It's the waste basket. Utilizing the waste basket is one of my least favorite stages of developing a sermon. The waste basket stage is where you take a chunk of that information that you gathered and you toss it to the side and you throw it in the wastebasket. It's material that you gather that you don't use in your sermon, whether that be for time's sake or it just detracting uh, from the main message and not trying to uh, dilute the message too much. And man, I got to say, the wastebasket was a big time stage for today's message. There was a lot of information that I would love to present to you all with our topic for this morning, but it pained me to use this wastebasket waste as I had to use it uh, quite frequently, uh, consistently throughout this process. As this morning, it is a... Uh, a warning while it's a pretty technical message today, and we can very easily venture uh, deep into this topic, but we don't want to dilute from uh, the main message of what we are dealing with this morning. And so we are in the middle of our series that we started a couple weeks ago entitled, Tis the Jesus Season. And we're trying to make sure that Jesus is the focal point of this Christmas season. We have our and will continue to discuss who Jesus is. Who is this man that we celebrate year in and year out come Christmas? We, we celebrate his birthday. There, there's no other figure in history that, that we celebrate uh, their birthday so religiously year in and year out that is uh, thousands of years old. So truly, 
This is a unique man, Jesus. And so throughout this series, we've been talking about the basics of who Jesus is. And so the first week, as we started off this series, we talked about that Jesus is the Christ. The Christ just means anointed uh, or chosen. So Jesus, when we say that Jesus is the Christ, we are saying that he is the chosen one of God. And we see through the scriptures that God chose Jesus before he even formed the world. That's pretty incredible. God had this plan of Jesus, this this plan for mankind, really, plan for you and I, and it all revolved around Jesus. And now, what did God choose Jesus specifically to do? And the rest of the series, we're kind of breaking this down week by week, and what God specifically chose Jesus to do, what, what, what sort of roles he chose Jesus to fulfill. And last week, we saw that God chose Jesus to be his son to be his birth son, his only begotten son, not God uh, himself, but the son of God. And today we're taking a look at how God chose Jesus to be his agent. Now in the beginning, all the way in uh, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth and God made man and woman. And now in, in whose image did God make mankind? It was in his own. God made man uh, in his own image. And so that means that you and I, we have some of the same qualities and characteristics as God himself uh, on a much smaller scale. We see that God, he is a creator and he created us to to be creators as well. Uh, He gave us creative minds to form the earth how we see fit. God has authority, and when God made mankind, God gave mankind authority over the earth as well. We have authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. God gave his creation, uh, mankind, authority. We see that God is a communicator, and God created us to be communicators as well. We have the ability to communicate our thoughts and feelings with others. And we could go on and on of the different ways in how we are created in God's image. It's the crazy thing that, that we can realize this morning is that you and I, we serve as an image or representation of God himself. Now, this image and representation that we give of God is far from perfect, but it's still present. We still see glimpses of who our God is in each and every one of us as uh, we're, we're creators, where we have authority, we're communicators, and, and the list goes on and on. And now of all of God's creation, Jesus is the, the supreme image or representation of who God is. Colossians 1.15, uh, Paul writes, he being Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then Hebrews 1.3 states, he being Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And so we are created in God's image, but Jesus takes being in the image of God to a whole nother level. Jesus is the only born or begotten son of God. He was conceived by God's Holy Spirit. Jesus is sinless and he has a very unique power and authority that was given to him. And so you can think of it like this. And between our image of God and Jesus' image of God, when you are walking by a stream of water and you stand above the the water and you can see 
a reflection or an image of yourself. And depending on how fast the water is moving or how murky the water is, that image may be a bit distorted. And I kind of think we are kind of like that image of God. God created us in his image and we become his adopted children as we put our faith in him and his son, Christ Jesus. And through this process of being sanctified, we are a bit of a distorted image of who God is. Very similar to to when you look down in that stream of water and you see a distorted image or reflection of who you are. Now, Jesus, I think, uh, is more like when you see yourself in the mirror. The image in the mirror isn't you. That, 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 that thing that you see in the mirror, it looks just like you, but, but it's not you. Two uh, completely uh, separate entities there. The one is just a reflection or an image, and one is you. And Jesus, I think he, he serves as that sort of reflection as, as we would see in a mirror. It's a very clear image and a very clear reflection of who God is. And so much so, Jesus is so much of a clear image of who God is that I think that he serves as the ultimate agent of God. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is an agent in this sort of context that we talk about Jesus being an agent of God? Well, this idea uh, comes from the law of agency, The law of agency is an ancient principle that was very prevalent in Jewish society. I'm going to read uh, for you two different uh, encyclopedias defining this uh, law of agency. The first uh, comes from the Jewish encyclopedia, and yeah, you have uh, that definition uh, behind me as well. It's the Jewish encyclopedia uh, published in 1906, talking about this law of agency, says the law of agency deals with the status of a person known as the agent, acting by direction of another, the principal, and thereby legally binding the principal in his connection with a third person. The person who binds a principal in this manner is his agent, known in Jewish law as Shalua or Shaliah, one that is sent. The relation of the former to the latter, the relation of the agent to the principal is known as agency, Shalahat. The general principle is enunciated thus, a man's agent is like himself. Let's read uh, one more uh, definition here uh, from the Encyclopedia of the Jewish Religion. Takes it a step further. They state the main point of the Jewish law of agency is expressed in the dictum, a person's agent is regarded as the person himself. Therefore, any act committed by a duly appointed agent is regarded as having been committed by the principal, who therefore bears full responsibility for it with a consequent complete absence of liability on the part of the agent. Now, what does that mean? How can we summarize uh, these two uh, different uh, definitions of what the law of agency is? And and there in your notes there, you'll see uh, my uh, dumbed down version of what this law of agency means, the simplified version. The law of agency is when someone represents another entity and acts on their behalf. So much so, according uh, to this encyclopedia of the Jewish religion, that the agent is regarded as the person they are representing as themselves. 
And so we're going to, uh, if, if anything like me, uh, going through school and uh, college and just learning on my own, I'm able to grasp a principle a lot better when, we, when I look at uh, exam, common day examples. And so this morning we're, we're going to take a look at a common day example of this law of agency, and we're also going to look at a biblical example of this uh, phenomenon. And hopefully through this you'll better understand what this law of agency is and how Jesus fulfills this role of being an agent of God. And so a common day example of this law of agency that we can use, uh, and I've used this example uh, before. Let's say I work for the FBI and I am in pursuit of a criminal. After spending many hours uh, tracing the criminal down, I finally trace him down to his hideout in his home. And so me being an FBI agent, my name is Agent McLean, I go up to the door, and I go, knock, 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 open up. This is the FBI. Now, what I will not say is, knock, 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 open up. This is Agent McLean. No. When I say, knock, 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 open up, this is the FBI, that holds a whole lot more authority. And now, me, myself, being one singular FBI agent, I am not the FBI in its entirety. However, I represent the FBI. And so me, myself, being an FBI agent, I can speak on behalf of the entirety of this organization. And so you can uh, rightfully say as an FBI agent pursuing a, a criminal, you go knock on their door, say knock, 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 open up. This is the FBI. We, we, we've all seen this in, in the shows. Uh, it's, it's all over uh, Hollywood today. The, these cops, these FBI, whatever, you name it, open up. This is the FBI because it holds a whole lot more authority as that singular agent represents someone else or represents another entity. And so uh, that, that is one common day example of this law of agency where, where this one agent represents another entity and that agent is able to speak on behalf of the FBI. And so that's a, a common day example. Hopefully you've not experienced that in, in uh, your lives, but maybe uh, probably many of us have seen that on the television screens where we see the FBI agent knocking on the door saying, open up, this is the FBI. And so this law of agency, we see it present in uh, like these uh, crime shows that we may watch, um, but, but really it's not nearly as prevalent in our society as it was back when the Bible was written. Agency was much more common. But today, because of the use of telephones and vehicles, the actual practice of agency is far less necessary today. This has caused many Christians today to not really understand the principle or the law of agency. But in biblical times, it would be extremely common to send someone in your stead to represent yourself. And that person that you would send to represent yourself, they would speak as if they were the person who, who sent them. And this law of agency, it, it happened every day. It was very custom, very common in their society. And so a, this law of agency was something that they were very well familiar with in biblical times. And so let's uh, take a moment this morning, and if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, uh, we see what I think uh, to be the most clear example of this law of agency taking place. 
To give us a little bit of context of what is taking place here, uh, the Exodus is all about the, you guessed it, the Exodus, uh, all about the Israelites exiting, leaving the nation of Egypt as they were being treated as slaves and the start of this new establishment as a group of people um, as they were living away from the uh, Egyptians. But before all this, before uh, the Israelites left this uh, harsh nation of Egypt, they were serving as slaves. And God called someone, God called Moses to free the Israelites. And here in Exodus uh, chapter 3, Verses 1 through 6, we'll read here this morning. We see uh, the calling for Moses in, in this ministry. And so in Exodus 3, verse 1, it reads, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, most of us are probably pretty familiar with this story, the story uh, of Moses being called into ministry. And uh, it's a story that a lot of times we will read in Sunday school as a kid. My question is, do we have this story confused? I assume uh, many of us here this morning uh, presume it was God talking to Moses in the bush, uh, God himself, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And I'm not so sure that we can say that it was literally God talking to Moses in the bush. If you had a careful either, you'll, you'll notice in, in verse two, it states, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So in verse 2, we see that it was an angel who appeared to Moses in the bush. And then without skipping a beat, without any other context of anyone else entering into this picture, in verse 3, Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And then verse 4, we see all of a sudden the Lord enters the picture. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And so all of a sudden, without skipping a beat, we, we have here in verse two, it reads that an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the bush. And so Moses, uh, he goes and he turns and he, he goes see what's going on with this bush that is on fire, but it's not burning. That would be a pretty miraculous sight to behold. And all of a sudden, this being in the bush God calls out to uh, Moses, and he says, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Now, I don't think that it was literally God himself there in the bush, as verse 2 clearly stated that it was an angel of the Lord who was in the, the bush that was on fire. Instead, I believe this is one of many instances throughout scriptures where we see this principle, this law of agency taking place. Where God, 
But what I think uh, we can infer from the situation is that God sent this angel uh, down into uh, this bush that was on fire but not burning. And God gave this angel authority to speak to Moses. And God didn't give this angel any uh, ordinary authority. God gave this angel authority to speak on God's behalf. Now, I understand probably some of you guys uh, aren't uh, really, uh, you're not sold yet on this idea that, hey, maybe it wasn't God who appeared to Moses in the bush. Um, And you should never just blindly uh, trust my words. Uh, But what we see here, when you, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can then open up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, uh, it appears I'm not the only one who, who believes that this is the law of agency uh, taking place where someone is speaking on behalf of God. In Acts chapter 7, uh, we see uh, the accounts of the first Christian martyr, the first person who died for their faith simply because they believed that Jesus is the Christ. For no other reason That is why Stephen was martyred. And so in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is being killed for his faith in God and his son, Christ Jesus, Stephen uh, delivers a phenomenal speech in Acts chapter 7. And in the midst uh, of this uh, message, uh, Stephen, uh, uh, surrounded by these other Jews, he he brings up the the history of these Jews and the Israelites throughout the Old Testament. And Stephen talks about this incident that we just read in Exodus chapter 3. In Acts chapter 7, verse 30, Stephen says, uh, in the middle of this speech, he said, Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. And we jump down uh, to verse 35, then Moses says, you're not Moses, uh, this is Stephen. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So apparently, when Stephen uh, was reading through uh, his scriptures uh, like a uh, faithful, uh, devout Christian would, uh, he, he's reading the story of Moses and his uh, initial calling into the ministry. And Stephen here is reading that it was an angel of the Lord who appeared to Moses. And that this angel was then uh, delivering this message. And, and so Stephen I believe Stephen saw that this angel was representing God in this uh, law of agency, that God sent this angel to speak on his behalf. Another really uh, clear biblical example of the law of agency is found in Psalm 45. I originally uh, wasn't going to have us uh, read it, but I'm just going to go ahead. And so the words won't, aren't going to be behind me because I originally wasn't planning on it. But I'm just going to read it real quick uh, for you all here. In Psalm 45, I think we see another really clear example of this uh, law of agency. In Psalm 45, uh, verse 1, it reads, My heart overflows with a uh, pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. And so take note there in verse 1, the psalmist, uh, he is addressing the psalm to the king, the, the, whoever the king was at this uh, point in time. He says in verse two, you are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. And so uh, here, God has blessed this king forever. Verse three, gird your sword on your thigh, almighty one, and your splendor and majesty. 
And your majesty ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Now listen to this, verse 6. Your throne, so again, this is addressed to the king. And the psalmist says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. And so here in this psalm addressed to uh, this king, this ordinary king, uh, I'm not sure any king is ordinary, but, but in the psalm addressed to the king, here the psalmist calls the king, O God. If we're not convinced yet, if we look down in verse 7, the psalmist says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, I believe still talking about the king. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So you see there in verse uh, seven there, uh, the the psalmist uh, writes, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, because here uh, the the psalmist uh, again addressed to the king. So he calls the king God. And now this God has a God. Hold up. Now what? Well, yeah, once we understand the law of agency, that this makes a whole lot more sense that this king is representing God. As God has authority, this king has been given authority. God is a creator, the king, uh, creating his uh, nation. And so this king represents God so much so that the king is called God himself. That's pretty tricky. That's pretty confusing when in your Bibles, not 100% of the time when you read God, that is not 100% of the time referring to the Father, referring to the creator of all things. That can be pretty tricky. Fortunately for us, uh, I'm not, I count it all up, but, but I'd be pretty confident that well over 99% of the times that we read God in the scriptures, uh, especially with the capital uh, G, uh, as we see our translators help us out there, is referring to uh, the God of all creation, but not every time. And that is something that is extremely important for us to understand uh, this morning when we look at this law of agency. And, and, and these aren't the only two examples. Psalm 45 and Exodus 3 aren't the only two examples where God employs an agent uh, who represents himself. Uh, the Biblical Unitarian uh, webpage has an article on the website entitled Divine Agent Speaking and Acting on God's Dead. The article contains 11 different instances where God was represented by someone else. And, and so in this article, they, they go through seven different, uh, 11 different instances throughout the scriptures where someone else represents God and is speaking and acting on God's stead. And so this law of agency, it applied to this king in Psalm 45. It applied to Moses in Exodus, uh, or not to Moses, it applied to the angel in Exodus chapter 3, where they were speaking and acting on God's behalf. And we see, when we look through the New Testament, we see that this law of agency applies to Jesus as well. We stated earlier, no being in heaven or on earth represents God better than Jesus himself. And so if angels and kings can represent God and actually be called God because of the representation that they are serving, then all the more Jesus can fulfill this as well and represent God and actually be called God. 
And we see that uh, take place, and we, we don't have the time uh, to look through this uh, this morning, but I encourage you on your own time, and it's listed there in your notes. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, two instances, instances in the New Testament where Jesus is called God in this secondary sense that Jesus represents God as his agent. It's confusing because we just spent uh, last week, uh, we took a look at these different surveys and more and more Christians uh, are coming to this uh, belief that Jesus is the son of God and that he's not necessarily God himself. And now all of a sudden we're saying uh, that Jesus called God twice in the New Testament. I think in both these instances in Acts 20, 28 and Hebrews 1, 8, we, we, we put in this law of agency where Jesus can be called God because he represents God. Jesus is a far better image. He is a far better representation of who God is than the angel in Exodus chapter 3 and the king in Psalm 45. And actually in Hebrews 1.8, they're quoting Psalm uh, 45 there. There are a number, uh, this isn't just uh, my own thoughts, my own ideas. There, there are a number of biblical dictionaries and lexicons that recognize that the title God can be applied to other beings as well. Because that's important to, to recognize when, when talking about God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. God is a title. It is not his name. Just like uh, many of us may share uh, the same titles, I am a father, that is a title. Many of you guys uh, share that same title with me. I am a son. Many of you guys share that same title as me. I'm a child. We all uh, share that same title here. Well, God is uh, Yahweh's personal name. That, that is his title. And sometimes that title in the scriptures is given to other beings as well. And so, as I mentioned, a number of other biblical dictionaries and lexicons recognize that this title God can be applied to other beings as well. This is one of the instances where I had to use the wastebasket, and I'm uh, uh, not happy with that. Uh, but for the sake of time, we, we don't want to get too muddied in this conversation and dilute the, the main message and lose focus of the main message. But if you're interested in that, Sean Finnegan actually uh, takes a look at seven different uh, Bible dictionaries and lexicons that talk about this, God being applied to other beings. You can find it on lhim.org, and you go to a series, One God Overall, and it's near the end of the seventh message. Uh, and if you need help finding that, I can uh, guide and direct you in uh, the correct spot. But uh, Sean Finnegan goes over seven different uh, Bible dictionaries and lexicons uh, that, that recognize God can be, this title God can be applied to other beings as well. All that being said, that Jesus serves as the agent, the representation of God, and because he fills that so well, we see twice in the New Testament, Jesus is actually called God. But I don't think that makes Jesus the creator of the heavens and the earth. I think there is a, a distinction between the two. So there we have it. This is uh, one of, uh, definitely one of the, the most technical uh, messages uh, we'll go over. So if you make it through this one, you can make it through uh, the rest of them as well. Um, but I think this is important to talk about when, when understanding who Jesus is. As Jesus is, uh, God, I think God chose Jesus to be his agent. 
God chose Jesus to be his representation to mankind. Colossians uh, 1.15 uh, says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so Jesus, uh, he, he spent about 30 years uh, on earth, and he uh, spent those 30 years uh, living life. He was growing up as a baby, uh, as a kid, a teenager, and then he spent much time reading the scriptures and praying to God. And Jesus, later on in his life, in his public ministry, he spent a lot of time teaching and preaching, performing many miracles and wonders. And that was all an image of who our God is. When you look at Jesus, you get a pretty good picture of who the God of creation is. And you and I, we need to step up to the plate as well. You and I, we need to serve as representations of God to the rest of mankind. All of mankind was created in the image of God, but not all of mankind are, are the sons and daughters of God. And we have the, this high calling in our lives to represent God to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our people at school, uh, people at jobs, you, you name it. We have that call and we have the responsibility to represent God day in and day out throughout our lives. And so I want us all, as we celebrate this Christmas season, we can recognize that this uh, man's birth in which we celebrate is a very clear image of who God is, so much so that he's actually called God twice in the New Testament. And we, about 2,000 years later, we can read all about the life and ministry of Jesus in the four Gospels, and through that we get a better idea of who God is. And 2,000 years later, after the birth of Jesus, we too can bear that calling, bear that responsibility of being a representation, being agent of God day in and day out, and showing the people around us what the love of God looks like, what our God is all about, who he is as a creator of all of the heavens and the earth, and you name it. So let's celebrate this Christmas season, Jesus, the agent of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the scripture that you have provided us with. Father, uh, I ask that you help us understand this word that you have miraculously preserved for each and every one of us to study and meditate and devour, Father. God, I just pray that as we celebrate this Christmas season, we can give glory to you as we celebrate your son, and Father, I pray that we, as your children, we can serve as a, an image, a representation of who you are to those around us as well. So God, we thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.